I'm Mark Boris and this is Straight Talk. All of a sudden we had this TV show that was getting shown in 180 countries all over the world and we didn't really know how to handle it. I've watched more than 200 people in a drowning situation at Bondi and they splash and they scream and they make a lot of noise. I just got out there and there was nothing out there. He, he couldn't have gone that quick. I mean, you've got to be ready for every single situation. How long do you think Andrew Reid can keep doing this? I feel like I've got energy all day. I was a pack a day smoker, right, for 20 years. Over the course of about three to six months, I put on about 40 kilos. No. I decided I didn't want to live like that anymore. Staying fit, staying healthy, having supplements or, or just eating really well. Is there something wrong with us, though? Are we obsessed? Andrew Reedy, welcome to Straight Talk, mate. Thanks, mate. Thanks for having me, Mark. Yeah, there's not many people who uh, their surname in Australia, because in Australia we like to put a Y on the end of everyone's name. So, like, <laughs> you know, if your name was Andrew Reed, Reedy makes sense, but you've got an automatic Aussie surname. <laughs> I Reedy, do. It's, Reedy. Either, it's either a Y or an O. If you're yeah. a Bondi lifeguard, yeah. you've either got a Y or an O. Correct, on the correct. And, then, and, and that's one of the things I want to talk about, because Bondi... I mean, you're famous for, for Bondi Rescue. I mean, we know you for that. But but Bondi still epitomises what was probably pretty much the old old school Aussie banner, you know, like blonde hair, kids, blue eyes, and as in your case, um, it's just a certain look, and probably one of the reasons it sold, the show was sold so well overseas is it really epitomises what was Australia. Yeah. You understand what I'm saying? Like, you know, you're a Waverley boy. Yep. Uh, Waverley school, Waverley college. You know, like you could probably go back and most of the kids in your year were, you know, blonde-haired kids, surfies, you know, skateboarders, down the beach, yep. outdoor-style living. Would that be fair to say? A hundred percent, yeah. Bondi, yeah. I mean, it's, a lot's changed yeah. uh, in the 40 years that I've sort of lived there. And I, well, that's so weird saying that 40 years, I feel so old. But um, yeah, I mean, you know, you used to be down there surfing and you'd be waiting for the old Bondi cigar for, to float around the corner from the old sewage treatment plant. And yeah. now who would who, who would imagine that, it, you know, the medium house price there is $3 million when you used to be surfing in like who essentially? Yeah, yeah. So, um, but I mean, yeah, it, it, Bondi represents Australia, I think, really well, and I think that's the reason why it's so popular. Do you, but do you think is actually? Um, do you think Bondi Bondi represents Australia today, or do you think it represents what was Australia? I think I think it's a little bit of both. I think now it's it's so multicultural down there now. Like I mean, you see so many different cultures all getting along together on and the beach. On the beach, just in this big playground. You know, you've got you've got obviously the the topless, beautiful blonde Swedish backpackers. Not that we take too much notice of that as lifeguards. We're always watching the water. But um, but then you've got the Brazilians that are playing volleyball or beating the drums up at North Bondi. You know, you've got so many different cultures down there, and I think that also represents Australia now as well because that's what Australia is, is quite we are multicultural. We're very multicultural. But what about Bondi Rescue though? So you guys, so the, the lifesavers, do you, if I was to, if you were to say, you know, name the five or six people that you know who are lifesavers, lifeguards. Lifeguards, yep. As opposed to lifesavers. Now, there is a difference. Well, quickly, you should explain the difference between lifesavers and lifeguards. So I, 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 I use the, the analogy it's similar to a cook and a chef, right? So a chef's obviously highly trained. We do a lot of different – and so a lifeguard is like a chef. We do a lot, of, a lot of extra training and we spend every day on the beach doing that as a job, whereas a cook, they do it casually, you know, and they just do it for their family or whatever, which is fine, just as fine, but they don't have that extra high level of training and they're not professional, if that makes sense. Yeah, that makes total sense. But the volunteers do a fantastic job. We don't take anything away from them. They, that We work in with them really well at Bondi and they do a great job. Yeah, so just to be clear, lifesavers usually are attached to a surf club. Yep. Like in at the case of Bondi, you've got Bondi Surf Club and you've got North Bondi Surf Club. And generally speaking, they're from the community and generally speaking, it's a volunteer gig. 
and they just work on Saturdays or sun- and Sundays. And yeah, then, Saturdays and, and Sundays and, they come down, they help us out. They do fantastic rescues. They get the ducks out there. They they do a great job. And the, whereas the lifeguards are part of the council system, Waverley Council looks after Bonner Beach. You officially are employed by Waverley Council, I, I, I suspect. Yep. Council, yeah. And uh, but you guys know how to do. You know, you're properly trained in resuscitation and all sorts of things. And you have links then back to the Ambos. And everybody else is then going to come and service, and the cops too, for that for that matter. When you got to, a hundred percent. Like we're we're doing it every day, and that's the difference. Is and where we've that's got your job. SOPs, and we've got yeah, exactly right. You know, we we get called. I mean, we with the with the gap where it is, we get called round to suicides quite a fair bit, and so we're dealing with those sort of things. We're dealing with so many different situations that, I mean, I, I've worked at Lake Macquarie's beaches also just as a casual lifeguard, and um, I mean, my first year working as a lifeguard at Bondi, I learned probably experience that some lifeguards might take 10 years to learn. You know, I did 12 spinals. We did, you know, we did so much and you sort of grow up pretty quickly working on a beach like Bondi. So can I go back to your first first year or first, you know, appearance as a life lifeguard uh, working for Waverly Council down at Bondi? How many years ago about is that? Oh, 21 years ago. I okay, started so when I was good. about, yeah. How old were you? Uh, I was probably around 20, what am I now, 40? I was about 23, I think. 23, okay. Yeah. So at 23 years of age, if you just stop there at 23 for a second and then just tell me who was Reedy from leaving school, Wavy College, 18, I guess you left school 18, 18 to 23. Who was Reedy in that 18 to 23 or uh, 23 period. Oh, he was what a young you kid that was sort of trying to find himself a little bit. I lived my teenage years as an overweight teenager. Well, so um, overweight means what? Oh, when I was about 12, I, I met this kid at swimming training. Me and my sisters were really good swimmers. Like both my sisters went on to state and Pan Pacific Games and all that sort of stuff. Where did you train? Which pool? Uh, with John Rogers at Olympia oh, yeah. in Cranbrook, yep, yep, which yep, a lot of people yep, know. You yep. probably know. Um, yeah. He was our super coach. I actually saw him at Noosa on the weekend and it was great well, to see I, My son's training Neil. There. Neil Rogers, yeah, yeah, down at Bondi. No, no, they try. He was a Cranbrook for a while. Oh, okay, yep, yeah, yeah. Yep. He was, he was a Cranbrook with okay. Maddie. And those, sorry, uh, I was thinking about now. Now yeah. I still train with Neil down at the Icebergs yeah, on yeah, a Tuesday yeah. or Friday sometimes, yep. which yep. is awesome. How is he going, by the way? Because he had a bit of a drama with his prostate. Just yeah. a bit off the topic, but like, is he okay? I, th- I think he's okay. Oh, yeah, I think he's just. I think he's. I think they're working on it at the moment. I think he's doing some chemo. I'll give so. co- give coach my regards. I so will. let's just move forward. Though. So <laughs> so you were just, you were a swimmer. So during school, your school years? Yeah, I was a swimmer at Waverley, coached by Kerry Murray, which yep. I don't know if you know Kerry yeah, Murray. Yep. Um, and then I met this kid and his mum His mum used to send us down the shop with 50 bucks to buy lollies. And as you can imagine, well, that's a 50 bucks in those days, you'd get a lot of redskins. So, yeah, bloody oath. Um, and so, mate, over the course of about three to six months, I put on about 40 kilos. No. Yeah, I was probably weighing in at about 100 kilos. What? And, yeah. How old were you? Mate, I was about 12 or 13. No. Yeah. Jesus. Yeah, I was a big boy. And so- I sort of lived this life of, you know, and being at Waverley, being that overweight, you, you know, you get bullied a little bit. Yeah. And part of me looks at it as bullying. Another part of me looks at it as just being told the truth. And yeah. for me, if anything, it was just a bit of a wake-up call to do something about it. So um, when I got into my later teens, obviously, you know, no girls wanted to know me and I was a bit, you know, a little bit depressed or whatever. But um, as I sort of got into like my early 20s, I decided I didn't want to live like that anymore. Um, and I started running and took up running and found this passion for running and eating healthy and sort of self-taught myself nutrition because back then it wasn't what it is here every day. You've only got to open up Instagram to learn a little bit about nutrition. Now, back then you had to kind of teach yourself. And so I just sort of thought if I cut out sugar and, and stopped eating all the things that were making me overweight and lost all the weight and got back into swimming. And I was actually working as a garbo at the time and a mate of mine from Maroubra, Matt Phillips, flopper, he said, um, he said, mate, why don't you try and get on the beach at Bondi with me? He was doing the same thing, full-time garbo, casual lifeguard. And I was like, oh, mate, I'll give that a crack. That sounds all right. So I went down and I tried out and got on and, mate, that was it. I, I was just living my dream life. I'd work as a garbo, job and finish. So as soon as you'd done your run, and I've obviously was fit now, started running. We were finishing our garbo run at 8 o'clock. I was starting on the beach at 9 o'clock as a casual, working through till 7 o'clock, middle of summer, young 23-year-old blonde kid just having the time And getting paid. Oh, getting paid, yeah, bloody oath. Yeah, I was getting paid really well because all the time I'd been a garbo, I went straight onto that same pay scale because it was the same employer. So went straight to the, like nearly straight to the top pay scale and I was getting good money and I was just living the dream. And did any stage did you fall off the rails? Um, 
thought I wouldn't say I ever fell off the rails, but I mean, yeah, I probably partied pretty hard and yeah. you know got got amongst it all and probably. Um, but I, but I, I guess I remembered everything that my parents had drummed into me as a kid about sort of my morals and my standards and stuff, and never went right off the rails. But you know, I probably pushed the boundaries a little bit, as I think we, we all did both, in our We 20s. both got a few mates, you know, we won't mention them, but we got a few <laughs> mates who, you know, like because it's easy to do, like very easy, especially if you're, you know, like as you guys ended up doing, being really well known because of the TV series. Yep. Um, and you're down there, and you're feeling like you're invincible, and you're all tanned up, and you're. There's girls everywhere, and you know you you've got the sense of authority over the beach, and everybody's sort of looking up to you. It's sort of easy to fall off the off the wagon. Hundred percent. And I mean, I think I think all of a sudden we had this TV show that was getting shown in 180 countries all over the world, and we sort of had this profile, and we were all young, and we didn't really know how to handle it, you yeah. know. And I was, some guys handled it well, and some guys didn't handle it so well, and. Um, you know, I think, I don't know, I, I I feel like I made hay while the sun shines, you know, I think that's probably the most important thing that you got to do, right? You know, you don't get these opportunities a lot. So, and the crazy thing about it is, mate, we're going into season 18, it's still going. That's madness. It's. I mean, it's, there's not many shows that sort of, not many series that have so many, such a long life. I mean, that's that's an incredibly long life, 18, 18 years of this stuff. But I do want to go back to that first year. What did you, you first, so you're on the Garbos, um, you, you turn up on the first day of Bondi for, for your first day of lifeguard. What, what, what was the biggest shock that you, you had in, say, in that first 12-month period? Um, I mean, I had no idea what I was doing. A lot of it's on the job training and it has to be. Lifeguarding is experience. That's that's how you learn to be a good lifeguard. Um, I mean, one of my first major spinals was a 20-year-old kid. What's a spinal? So a spinal injury. So like a potential, like a, or suspected spinal, we call it. They're suspected yeah. until proven and you can't prove it until you do an x-ray. Um, and so I, we had this kid that had literally... First day at Bondi from England, run down, jumped in the water, dived in, and we obviously get these these troughs in the water, and he it looked deep, and he's dived in, and he's hit his head, bang. Whoa. Suddenly, was floating there face down because he couldn't move his legs and his arms, couldn't feel them at all. Anyway, we, we got him up, uh, oh, God, it's 20 years ago now, so a long time. They remember this, right? But the chopper, we ended up having to call a chopper. He had no feeling, and I, I he, he actually had prior prism. I don't know if you know what prior prism no. is, but once, once you're – once your brain stops sending messages down the spinal cord, it was actually socially, obviously having a, an erection was uh, socially unacceptable. So we train our brains not to get one. Sometimes when people have a spinal injury, they get priorism and they, they get an erection. And this kid had priorism. And that's when I knew that potentially this kid had a spinal injury. And because I'd known from fresh out of training with our paramedic, Jamie Twight, who we trained with, um, my first year, you know, I was obviously taking it all in and I'm trying to reassure this poor kid that he was going to be okay. And I'm looking at him and I'm thinking, this kid's probably going to be in a wheelchair for the rest of his life. And he was, he, he'd broken his neck. Wow. And I was like, you just, in all of a sudden, in my first year, I realised that this, you know, people talk about lifeguarding, what a great job. You just kick them back on the beach. You're just doing nothing. I was like, hang on a minute. Nah, this is like a serious job. And if you aren't on the ball, things can happen. Not that that was our fault, but I mean, you've got to be ready for every single situation. And at Bondi, it's twofold because it happens so much. Do you ever at any stage think this is too hectic? Nah, I, I I was brought up by my mum with very tough love and we were exposed to, I think the reason we had a lot of dogs growing up was so that my mum could, could get us prepared for death, you know, and, and have us, do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like we, and, and there was, she would talk about a lot of things that, you know, probably parents shy away from talking about with their kids a lot these days, where she was very open about it. We knew, but she did it in the right kind of way, I think. And I don't know, it doesn't, it doesn't really, I mean, I've had a couple of situations down there where it's affected me only because... I've had something similar happening in my own personal life. And so it's sort of, it's almost like a bit of a trigger, but I'm also quite hardened to it. So I'm okay with it. I've never, I've gone and seen counsellors before, but it's only been a one-off and I've never felt it's really affected me a lot. Does there anyone, because I, I have seen a, a video um, which was given to me where you guys are talking about, I can't remember, a Mongolian doctor? Yeah, that was probably the one that – that's probably the, the hardest one for me. Yeah, is that one that stands out? A hundred percent. My job as a lifeguard is to make sure that everyone comes to the beach and they swim safely. 
it's a diff, it's, it's it's a hard job at Bondi when there's forty thousand people on the beach. And so you can get forty thousand people down there. Easy. Hundred percent, right. and that's not including the people in the like up on the grass. You know what Bondi's yeah. like when it's busy. You know, yeah. look, go down there for Festival of the Winds. It's just insanity. Um, and but we're treating those people if they have medical incidents. We're still treating them. We're still looking after them. We're not watching them in the water, but we're still looking after them. And um, mate, there was it was just this one day I'll, I'll never forget it because it's the one day that I felt like a failure as a lifeguard. Um, it was my third year in. It was actually the year. It was part of the 12 major resuscitations that we did that year that led to the show coming about. Um, so it was my third season. Um, I was watching the water like any other day. You've got two buggies that are roving and and one and usually South Bondi is where all the action happens. North Bondi is quite safe, as you'd know. Because yeah, of the kid that's why they put the surf club over the well, kids. Well, yeah, that's Kitty's Corner. Because you've got the alley there and it, Yeah, it, and it's the direction of the swell usually, yeah. um, and, and the way that the beach works. But and South Bondi, for the people that don't know, so usually North Bondi is where we have the flags. So we've got a set of flags at north and a set of flags at middle, and then South Bondi is for surfing. So that's why it's also a little bit dangerous because you can't have boards going through flags. So we have to segregate it. It's worked for hundreds of years, so that's how we do it. And 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 so this day I'm working south, and I love working south. This is where the action is. This is where we're like, you know, if you're not watching, you know, you'll miss something. And and so, but this day, middle of summer, fourteen degrees. Like, how many times have you seen fourteen degree no. water in the middle of summer? But the reason is. I won't go into too much detail, but the Coriolis effect, when we get a nor'east wind, it actually pushes the cold water um, up from the south and pushes the warm water out to sea. So 14 degree water, like really cold. And so when you're dealing with that sort of water, you don't want to go in for a rescue because it's freezing. Like normally we don't mind going in for the odd rescue, but when it's 14, you don't want to go It's usually about in. 19, 20, 18, 19, 20. Yeah, yeah, which is nice and comfortable on a hot day. You kind of want to go in anyway. So this day I had a little sandbank that I was working with. And so if you can't... You, when when you've got people swimming at South Bondi, backpackers, tourists, whatever, to send them up to the flags, 50% listen to you, the other 50% just completely ignore you. So you've got to do the best with what you've got. So I've got a sandbank there. There are surfers on it, but I say on the megaphone, if you don't if you don't want to go to the flags, if you can't go to the flags, just swim on this sandbank. Don't go in the rip. Anyway, I'll never forget. I'm watching, I'm watching this Asian gentleman walking out along the sandbank. And, you know, we don't racially profile, but... 80% of our rescues are Asian people because they just seem to not swim as well and we get well, them. Well, they're not that used to No, they're not that used to the waves and the water. And, and so I guess we just take an extra extra special care watching them. And I watched him walk out. But the difference was he was wearing Aussie bum swimwear, uh, so uh, budgie, budgie smugglers, yeah, which is not, not what they usually wear. And this is this is what years of experience gets you is just, you know, you're processing so many different things while you're working on the beach and you're observing, which is a lot of people. I don't think a lot of people realise us as lifeguards, that's a skill. Um, and so anyway, and he's walking out onto the back of this sandbank and I'm watching the rip and I'm watching the other rip and then I – I see him and I, and, and I just see him slip off the back of the bank and I see him put his hand up and, and I and I just – and I was sort of low to the ground and I sort of walked back a bit and I saw his hand go up and I, I saw the jet ski fl like flying from the middle of the beach because we had the jet ski patrolling on a really busy day. We'll have the jet ski in the water so they can get to rescues quick. He was actually going to Tamarama to do another job and when you're going really fast, you can't hear it. You can't. They can't hear the radio. So – I radioed it. He didn't hear. And I radioed Central and said, boys, I think someone's going under out the back. I'm going out. And the difference was because he was at the back of the bank, it's a lot harder to get to them because normally when you're going out to get someone in a rip, there's the waves aren't breaking. I won't go into too much detail on that because that's just what you need to understand as as a beachgoer. But, but having to get out to him to bounce over waves made it hard for me to keep my eye on him. The same thing happened in the tower. Tom in the tower heard my radio call, looked down, saw him put his hand up, and then he tried to radio the jet ski as well, looked back, and the guy was gone, right? It sunk. Sunk, sunk. But I've watched easily more than 200 people in a drowning situation at Bondi, and they splash and they scream and they make a lot of noise. This guy just – I just got out there and there was nothing out there. And in those situations, nine times out of ten – a board riders grab them. You know how busy Bondi yeah. is. Board riders do so many of our rescues for us because they're there. They see it. This guy, well, I didn't know what had happened at the time. And I'm like, I get out there and I'm like, I'm asking surfers, did anyone see anyone in trouble? You know, and and so no one, everyone's like, no, nah, no, nah, didn't see anything, blah, blah, blah. 
And anyway, and so we get a guy up in the Bondi icebergs with some binoculars. Um, we've got guys with polarized glasses looking at the water because with polarized glasses, you can see under the water, nothing. We're, we did a 45 minute search. We're megaphoning people on the beach. Has anyone lost, uh, is anyone missing a family member? We did everything we could and nothing, but because he didn't, his family didn't speak English. And I'll, I'll go into more details about Yondon in a second, but because his family didn't speak English, they didn't understand our, our calls over the PA and stuff. So in the end, we thought he must have just got in. And this was about, you know, three o'clock in the afternoon anyway. But I just had this sinking feeling. I, I'd watched with my own eyes a man put his hand up and go under. And so, and this is the one thing that I feel like that's our job. It's our job to get, to make sure that nobody drowns. If someone, you know, if someone dies in any other certain way, that's not out, that's not out of our control, different story. But this is why this one affected me. And so five o'clock rolls around. I'm getting ready to set to, to pack the beach up with some of the boys. And a, a young 16-year-old boy comes up to me of Asian description. And he says, I can't find my dad. And I said. Oh, his dad. What the fuck? Yeah. And I said, <clears throat> I said, oh, where was he swimming? And he just pointed straight down to where we spent 45 minutes looking for this, for this gentleman. And, um. And I just knew and I, my heart sunk and I, I just knew. I, I told Corey, who was the senior lifeguard at the time, and I said, mate, we're going to have to call the helicopter. Like we've, we're, we're doing a body retrieval here. Like it's been two and a half hours. Um, I went out there and don't forget it was 14 degree water and we're literally, um, I'm on the back of the jet ski with a snorkel and mask on and we're just swimming around like looking for for looking for a body. And um, With a body float or... No, it'll sink. It'll sink. It what, what happens with the with the body once it sinks? It goes to the bottom, yep. and then as the as as the body uh, deteriorates, gases release, and then it'll slowly come up a couple of days later. You know how oh, you we a few hear, days later, a few days later. Yeah, you know you hear about people fishermen, rock fishermen, whatever, and then yep. they they turn up a couple of days later. That's why. And so anyway, but I'm out there, 14 degree water, getting hypothermia. It's nearly seven o'clock at night, and some of the other boys from other beaches they knew what had happened as well because they'd heard the radio comms and and um. And so, yeah, so we, mate, and then I come in because I was literally hypothermic and the other guys went out and then the chop, another chopper came and we had two choppers and they were doing literally sweeps of the bay. But strangely enough, um, a surfer was out there surfing off South Bondi and his body had floated underneath the rocks, like right in front of the icebergs there. And the guy noticed it and he put his hand up and... Mark, I'll be honest, I, I, I'm kind of glad. I was in the tower and I'm kind of glad I wasn't there because obviously when they pulled the body out of the water, his whole family is there. He had three young kids. He had a wife. This is my family. I've got three young kids. I've got a wife. Um, and this whole experience for me, um, especially now that I'm a dad to three young kids, I just can't, I can't imagine what it was like for them on the beach. And the backstory, anyway, so the lifeguards, they, they tried to resuscitate him then and there. The paramedics came down. Obviously it was a, a futile attempt because he'd been under for so long. Um, in hindsight, I, I kind of wished the Ambos had, had, had taken him away and, and they declared him um, deceased in the hospital, but they didn't. They did it there on the beach. We don't know whether that's a good thing or a bad thing. Anyway, that's just my opinion. Um, but, um, yeah, I, I'm just glad that I, I didn't, I didn't, wasn't there to work on the body because I felt to blame. I felt like I'd, I'd done something well, wrong. Why would someone sink? I mean, I, like, I mean, why wouldn't someone thrash around like they normally do? He couldn't swim a stroke. But, but, but do you think you just, I mean, is that a thing that people just, just sort of give up and just let themselves drift under? Mate, I don't know. Like it's, it's, I mean, well, I, I've actually spoken to, a, a, I don't know if you know, Trent Langlands. He yeah, was no, a lifeguard no, 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 for Trent, a long yeah. time. He had a very similar situation at Bronte. He saw a guy go under a wave at Bronte many years ago before I was a lifeguard. And then the guy just disappeared, right? Could it have been the cold water? Maybe he had a heart attack at the same time? I don't know. We, we, we don't know. Was he, well, how, was he an older guy? Yeah, yeah. So so the story behind Yondon Dungu was he was an incredible eye surgeon and apparently he'd been brought over by, this, wow. by the Australian government to like fill the void of like our shortage of eye surgeons. And so he'd been brought over and he was here to try it for, for two months to see if he liked it. And if he liked it, he was going home to get his family to bring them back oh and he loved God. it. Hence why he was wearing the budgie smuggler cozies and, you know, like he, he, he'd, he'd adopted, he'd, he'd adapted to the Australian life. And I think he'd adapted so much that he just thought that, uh, th this is the problem at the beaches. Us Aussies, we make it look so easy to go in and out of the surf, right? We, we take it for granted. We take it for granted. But that that's what makes us, our job as a lifeguard at Bondo so hard is that we're 90% tourists, 10% people that know what they're doing. And those 10% that know what they're doing make it look so easy. And the tourists look at them and they go, he went in, he went out. He came in, he came out. That How hard could it be? But 
when a rip's moving the way it's moving, if you don't know how to swim against it or swim parallel to it, this is the problem. And 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 this was the day. And sadly, it was Yondon's birthday on this day. Like, oh my god! He he'd brought his family over. He on his birthday, he'd taken them for a day at the beach. And and this is what happened. And this it 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 made me grow up a lot as a lifeguard in that short space of time. It made me realise that how it doesn't happen all the time, but how quickly. Things can change in a in the blink of an eye, and in the blink of an eye, that family lost their their caregiver, and me and some of the boys that were involved in the search and and the rescue and 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 everything. We we went to his funeral, and yeah, it made me just realise that lifeguarding isn't just. What more could you have done though? When you think you've obviously thought it through a lot, <laughs> what 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 else could you have done? That's the thing. I I I don't know. I don't think there is anything more that I couldn't have done. Like. The, the the thing there's an interview of of the police officer interviewing his wife on the beach while we were searching for him and and the the police officer said can he swim and she said no he can't he can't swim and he probably didn't listen to my PAs I don't know how well in English that he understood but we were PAing all day we we do hundreds of preventatives all day so whether he didn't hear them whether he'd adapted to this Australian life and just thought out on the sandbank was the safest spot. Problem is, as we know as Aussies, that the way the water moves around a sandbank is it just it, it, that day it was just wrapping around the back of the bank. And if he went too far, he got pulled off the back of the bank. And if you couldn't just swim enough to get yourself back onto the bank, in his situation, he he went under. And and it and, yeah. and how does that sort of dovetail into the to the the TV series Bond Rescue? I mean, like. <sighs> How, how does Bondi Rescue, does it have any relationship to that day or in your mind for um, you? For you, I think, I think if anything, it just showed the world the difficulties of our job. It's, it's, and it also showed um, like how dangerous the beach can be. Um, I was saying to someone the other day actually that I, 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 there's not many jobs where I think your job gets harder with more experience. You know, would you say like as a, I don't know, let's, as a real estate agent, the, the more experience you get, the better you get at it, yeah. right? The better you get at it. For me, I think us as lifeguards, the more experience we get with situations like that, the harder it is. The more vulnerabilities you rec- Mate, recognize. The more, more pressure, the more you know something can go wrong, the more you don't want to be working that day that someone dies. Like, and that's the thing. You don't want to be working a day where someone drowns because that's the day that, I mean, there's so many, there's so much collateral damage that comes with that. It's not like, you know, you miss a sale as a real estate agent or, you know, you make a small mistake and someone doesn't get the household. No one you get, dies. You get the next one. Exactly. You know, whereas you never forget when someone dies at so, your beach. So I remember, uh, and a good friend of ours, both of ours, David Gingell, he and I were, we used to train all the time together when he was living in Sydney and uh, we used to run from Bondi to Bronnie and back. Um, over time, become a walk, um, but <laughs> as it does. But I remember age. him telling me uh, uh, many years ago, maybe fifteen years ago, perhaps I don't know, something like that. Um, he said, oh, "I'm helping these blokes had to produce a show because um, he was a Channel Nine then." He said, "I'm helping these guys." Out. He was also on my board at um, Wizard in those days. Yeah. So I'm, I'm helping these guys produce this show called Bondo Rescue. One of our good mates, good mate of yours too, uh, was involved in that show, and um, and I thought, oh. What's he talking about? But and I, I don't. Uh, all I remember is that he had. I can't remember who was producing it. Um, ben Davies. Ben Davies, local Bondi board okay. rider, president of the board riding club. He sort of mentioned, and it didn't mean much to me. I was just, oh, that sounds cute, sort of thing. You know what I mean? <laughs> we'll show yeah. that some lifeguards so running take, around. Take, take me through the story. Like, how, how did Ginge get involved? That's his surname. Uh, as his nickname, I should say, um, off his nickname, off his surname, he ended up becoming CEO of Channel Nine. But um, how does how did it all get put together? Take me through that. How did Bondi Rescue sort of become an ideation, then become a show? Well, so one year, which was part of that year, we did 12 major resuscitations and we got all of them back. Like one of them was an Irish. I wasn't involved in this. I wish I was. What an what an experience to be a part of this. And three Irish doctors walking out of the surf, stormy afternoon at Bondi. They're both walking. They're All three of them are walking out of the surf, board under their arm. One of them drops his board and just starts running. And they reckon with lightning, you can feel it coming through the earth. And he's literally, he's running towards the tower and bang, struck by lightning in his arm. What do you mean? He can feel the, the lightning in the ground. That's what they say. Lightning survivors can feel the lightning coming through the ground. And, towards and, them. Well, I don't know. They can just feel that it's going to happen. Wow. I, I, this is this is just, I don't know how true it is, but this, this funnily enough. It's the one, goosebumps. The one guy that got struck, 
he was the one that dropped his board and starts running, right? Wow. But it was one of those, you know, those afternoons, dark and stormy, Bondo. Sometimes we do some PAs. We tell people to get out of the water. No one listens. Um, anyway, drops his board, starts running, bang, struck by lightning, in his arm, out his leg. It just started raining. The lifeguards, Chapo, can't remember who else. We actually interviewed him on a podcast a couple of years ago. Um, his name's Colm. He lives back in Ireland now, but and he's still got a bit of a stutter and a bit of a funny leg walk because of it. But the boys were on him, working on him within... 30 seconds. They dragged him so up. So what happened? Did he get burnt? I don't even remember what happened. Yeah, yeah. He went in his arm, out his leg. He got burns. He got, he got. Um, oh, oh, like I said, I wasn't there, but the boys did an incredible job. They shocked him three times with the defib. They got his heart started again. They got him back, mate, completely fine. Um, And he survived another one of the 12 major resuscitations. I don't know if you remember Matt Williams. You know Matt yeah, Williams Matt, from Matt, the Matt, beach? Matt was the guy who said, I was saying before with um Neil Rogers, he used to train one of my sons up at Cranbrook. Yeah, so his son. Big Matty, the. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Triathlon. Yeah, yeah, yes, yeah, yeah. yeah. So his son, Je his dad, Jeff Williams. Yeah, yeah, you know yeah. Jeff. Yeah, yeah, Jeff. Bit of bit of bit of party animal back in the day, but another one in this same year, right? He's out there surfing. Doesn't feel very good. Um, comes in, goes to his car, puts his board in the car. He's a fireman, obviously knows 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 first aid, all that sort of stuff. Knows that something's not right. Rings his son Matt. And says Matt, I've just called myself an amber. I'm at Bondi. I'm not feeling real good. I think something's going on. Hung the phone up. Matt had the street smarts to ring the tower and say, boys, dad's in the car park somewhere, hasn't told me where. Something's not right, right? Two of the Kerbox, I think Kerbox was here that day. Kerbox worked that day, as you know, Kerbox. Um, uh, he was the team leader. Two guys went one way, two guys went the other way. We know how big Queen Elizabeth Drive yep. car park is, right? Could be anywhere. Jeff has the street smarts. Jeff, Jeff was having a heart attack. Jeff had the smarts to have the heart attack. And instead of getting in his car and sitting in his car, the boys probably never would have found him, laid on the bonnet of the car, starfish, had the heart attack. Boys found him, had the defib on him within, because you've got about 10 minutes. With every minute, you've got 10% less chance of getting someone back, right? So that's why we get so many back, because we're first responders at Bondi with a lot of big volume of people, and we're there within 10 minutes. So we we have a lot of success, right? The Ambos even say it, that's why. And we're trained by really good Ambos too. And so... Anyway, the boys work on him. They do an incredible job. They shock him like five times with the defib. The Ambo took about 20 minutes that day for whatever reason. They were busy. Um, Jeff died, I think, three times on the way to the hospital. Wow. Um, they had him in a coma for two days. They induced him in a coma for another five days. Um, Jeff is completely fine now. Oh, and he's, wow. He's, he, he's alive and well. And it was, do you know what I mean? Like all these things came together in this perfect situation and, and Jeff's alive now today. And and so- well, wait, So what happened? The idea? Like did someone, someone, did someone say, well, you guys are doing such a great job. Well, Be Benny Davies was working that day. Well, you know what it was? The, the number one was, the other resus was- was one of the other ones was, and I was lucky enough to be a part of this one. It was one of my first major ones. A girl was out there surfing. It was about four to six foot. She must have got a wave on the head and she wasn't a very good surfer and it's knocked her out. And I remember looking through the binos and I said, someone face down down there. And someone said, nah, it's a snap board. And I said, nah, mate, face down. And I went running down at the same time. Kalen was there. He paddled out. I paddled out. You know, big surf. We got her in. We worked on her. Me, Hoppo, Kalen, Sean. Um, I think Benny Davies was part of it, and that's that was a big part of the reason why. So Benny Davies was a lifeguard with us casually, obviously board rider from Bondi, but also worked as a producer for Getaway. Right. And he witnessed this this resuscitation, and he knew a part part of all the other ones. This girl, Candace, she was only 26. She's now got three kids, still lives in Bondi. We see her around. You know, it's 20 years later. It's, it's, it's so good to see because our work – has bought this kept this beautiful girl alive and now she's got a family which is amazing. So but Benny was part of that and and he was like, mate, there's a TV show in this. 
Like, and so basically, I, at that time in, in the off season, I was going over to America to work as a water ski instructor in New York, uh, one of the summer camps over there. And um, so I, I got wind from the boys. They said, "Mate, they're filming a pilot down here. You wouldn't believe it. And they're gonna they're gonna shop it out to all the all the TV stations." And I think I think Ben was leaning on Ginge for for ideas and how to how to pitch it. And I think originally it was pitched as as a one hour special. And so they sent cameras down in the busy period. And in that busy period, over the course of that week. Um, Right at that time, when they were filming the boys, like or doing a photo shoot, a guy had a heart attack. This tachycardia situation, right in front of the guys. Cameras there. It was one of the first ever, like witnessed, full on resuscitations. And I think they used that. And Channel Ten had picked it up already, I think. And then, um, and mate, the rest was history. After that, they said, mate, thirteen part series, and and we, we've been on ever since. I think we've had one year off because of COVID. Of the original team that were in the original part of the series, who still exists? Uh, there's probably out of the first crew, there's myself, Hoppo, Harry's, Dino's still casual. Um, there's some guys that have come back that weren't there, like singlets that weren't there to start, Beardy. Um, but why does the Australian icon export so well into other markets like the US or into UK or wherever? Why do you think that is? I mean, what's your view on it? Um, I think it's. I think there's a few reasons. I think one of them is is that it's easy to watch. It's like border security, but on the beach, right? Like yeah. border security is all right, but after a while, you get sick of watching the same old stuff. Whereas, the other thing is that Ben Davies and the producers have done an incredible job, especially in the early days, of building profiles and and really tapping into that Aussie. Aussie culture of like, like we used to play pranks on each other, like, you in know. In the show? In the show, yeah, yeah. Like actually filmed? Oh, yeah, 100%. Like, mate, we've done, like, we've done some great ones over the years. Uh, over time, it's become, uh, they do it less and less because it's it's sort of looked as looked like it's bullying in the workplace, whereas it's, mate, it's not us blokes. We just love taking the mickey out of each other. And obviously, you've got to be careful of certain sensitive situations. So they've found smarter ways to do it, but they just don't do it as much anymore but in the early days they they built these characters out of us guys on the beach of just us literally being ourselves and you know hopper used to always say it's a lot like mash where you know the reason mash was so successful was because you'd have this you know army team of medical people that would just play jokes on each other and have fun together but then when when shit got real they they worked together and they saved lives and that's Kind of like what Bondi Rescue is. That makes sense. But it's on the beach, right? And everything's beautiful. And who doesn't love the beach? Like, that's why people come to Australia, for the beach. The other reason is, is that, mate, media is so accessible everywhere now. YouTube, like Bondi Rescue's YouTube channel is is just skyrocketing. Like, it's because people can watch it anywhere, anytime. And that's where it's helped with its popularity, especially globally. Do you ever get much feedback from people overseas who are who are Australians who watch it for nostalgic reasons? So they want to watch it because I just want to get so be much. back in contact with Australians, what we did at Bondi, what, what happens at Bondi. Every expat that's ever lived over in Australia, they and I speak to them, whether I know them or not, they say to me, Bondi Rescue keeps me sane when I'm over in England on the rainy days or whatever. I just put Bondi Rescue on because it reminds me of home. It's probably our Aussie accents and it's what every – Every Australian that's ever grown up anywhere near the beach, that's what Bondo represents. It's like as a summer as a kid, you went to the beach and you hung out and you got up to mischief and you put zinc on your nose and you went surfing and you, you know what I mean? You had fun. And that. And you also saw the lifeguards rescue people. Uh, 100%. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's yeah. a thing. You see, I mean, you do. You yeah. see someone paddling out or you might see the jet ski and someone coming and being brought on the beach, generally speaking, they're all okay once you get them to the, to the sand and they, they walk off. Uh, Reedy, do you think that do you, in a show like that, is there any danger that Reedy becomes Reedy the character out of the show? Nah, that's stuff? that's what I think the great thing about Bondo Rescue is, is the fact that um, we're just – anyone. everyone says, oh, you're a celebrity now. And I say, no, nah, I'm just a lifeguard that just happens to be on, on a beach where they film a TV show. And I think a lot of us are quite grounded like that. Like one of my favourite saying is, 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 is expect nothing, appreciate everything, you know, and that's just because – like you, you shouldn't expect for anything, and I've never anything that's come out of Bondi Rescue has been a, a big bonus for me. But if anything, it's just given me this extra life that I can live that I actually like. I've been lucky enough to sort of dive into the media because of Bondi Rescue, and I've sort of found some little hidden talents that I never knew I had. Um, it's made me explore what do you things. What do you got? Oh, I mean, I, I for example, which your buddy Ginge helped me get off the ground. I, I. When I wanted to sort of stop being a garbo, I got sick of the early early morning, so I wanted to stop being a garbo. But 
I, I, I didn't know whether I wanted to be a full-time lifeguard. I was like, I love it, but I, I think if I'm doing it every single day, I don't know if I'll love it and I never not want to love it. And so I thought, what can I do, especially in the off-season, what can I do? And so I, I decided to put on a, a sw big swimming event at Bondi. I knew the beach really well. I'd made a lot of contacts. And I, the youth centre had helped me out, the Ways Youth Centre, uh, Wayne down there. I don't know if you know Wayne. Yep. Um, but he he was great. And um and so uh, those guys were, were awesome to me and I thought, I want to raise some money for the youth centre and I put on this big swim and Ginge helped me and Channel 9 were great um, in the first couple of years and I got it off the ground and then I turned it into a three-race series which was Bondi, Manly and Sydney Harbour supporting various charities. And so I've got a little events business, I've got a little merchandise business where we do Bondi Lifeguards merch and I, I sort of do a lot of media stuff. Like I do like I've done documentaries for Tourism Australia and um, worked at 2GB. I always wanted to be, I love the idea of broadcasting and obviously podcasting now you can anyone can be a broadcaster but before then um i was like how do you do it and so i i called up 2gb and i said i want to learn how to be a panel operator because osher ginsburg who narrates yeah. bondo rescue i said to him because he did radio i said how do you do radio he said mate you got to learn how to panel every good radio person's a panel operator so I literally went into 2GB every Sunday morning from like 5am and I watched the guy panel the garden clinic. I mean, could you think of anything more boring? I know that show. Could, like, oh, don't get me wrong, Graham is an oh, absolute I know, but I know the show. He, Ross. He's been doing it for that many years. <laughs> yeah, but but I went in and I watched like these panel operators panel it and that was the only way I was ever going to learn how to be a panel operator and I did it. And um, after six months, they let me behind the desk and then I finally got a job there with them and I was filling in. Uh, the, the hard thing was doing my job as a lifeguard, the only time for me to be a Christmas. casual panel operator was Christmas when I was busy on the beach. But I was lucky enough to work with Susie Yates and, and panel for a lot of a lot of two people from 2GB, as you would know. Um, and my first ever shift was panelling for Dan Mullins while he interviewed Ray uh, uh, Alan Jones uh, it, 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 when he was working over in Glasgow for the for the Com Games, and I've never been more scared in my life. My fingers were trembling, and I was thinking, "Can you imagine if I stuff this up while Alan Jones is on air?" Like, yeah, oh my god, I didn't. Thankfully, mate. Oh, mate, I'd be out of a job, as we know how you know. But that's what I love about Alan Jones and and, and Ray Hadley is they're hard taskmasters, but they expect perfection, and that's. I don't think there's anything wrong with that. That's why they've got great shows, you know. They expect perfection, and so, um, so yeah. And that's and I've sort of done that, and all this stuff has led to me working with brands like Asics and Garmin and all that sort of stuff over the last ten years, which has been great. Has led me to this role now, working for a company called Athletic Greens, which has a product called AG One, which I, I by the way, I have to say before I heard about it that you were involved in it, uh, that Fordo told me, uh, I've been using in that for probably two years now okay so i it comes from new zealand yep comes from new zealand the, the founders I, legend, I, I, I used to have i used to have this other use this other product it was a greens product and uh you know and i'm talking now 15 years ago and it was a bar a greens bar ah. and, it, and it was chocolate coated Oh, yum. <laughs> but it was really tasty. Yeah. It was really good. <laughs> Which makes it easy and, to have and, it every and, day. and i would have one every single day this is before greens became a thing Yep. Way before. And yep. I, I, there was only one health food store I, I could find that I knew of that sold it. and But they imported it from overseas. And then they stopped importing it. And then they started importing a, a version of it, which is a, just the powder. And I it was just, I found it undrinkable. It tasted horrible. It was, I felt like I was, oh, no joke, I felt like I was just going cutting grass. And, and <laughs> just the thought of having, I just couldn't couldn't have it anymore. Actually, I miss this chocolate bar. And it was... And then funnily enough, I was listening to, um, and I listen to a lot of podcasts, but I was listening to health podcasts or science podcasts. I was listening to Hoobman, and Hoobman said that, uh, no, he doesn't promote things, um, generally speaking. He's not a, he doesn't operate that way. Yep. Um, and he said that he uses this thing called Athletic Greens, and it comes out of New Zealand. Yep. And I thought, well, I'll give it a shot. And um, I ordered some, this is maybe two years ago, and I've, I've been having. I, I don't. I can't say I have it every day. I try to have it every day, um, and but it, it is. And I'm not here doing an ad from. Don't get me wrong, because <laughs> they, they don't pay me anything. I'm not in the deal. But uh, but I will say it's drinkable. Yep. So a lot of these green things are just undrinkable. Undrinkable. It's drinkable. It seems to have a really good broad spectrum of um, stuff in there that you need to get that you might not get out of because you might not eat a fruit. You might not have enough vegetables for the day. Um, it just seems to have a broad enough spectrum, so at least I can cheat the day, you know, if I 
don't eat healthily. Or at least I've known had I've had the nutrients that I should, generally speaking, have. And it's in a, a nice, it's nicely packaged. It's easy to use. You know, it's not going to spill everywhere. It's it's got a scoop in it. In fact, I had one early this morning. So yeah, and I I I got a surprise when Ford told me about that you're involved in Athletic Greens and um. No, I'm not surprised you're involved, but I'm, I never knew they were here in Australia. Well, that's that's the thing. And I, funnily enough, I, I've, I, I went looking for the product. when I, I've got two young kids. Oh, so I've got three now. But when I had two young kids and I'm working for these brands and they're getting me to go do half marathons and Ironmans and stuff all over the world, once my kids went to daycare, as you would probably know with daycare, you are sick. They are sick all the time. Yeah. And so Which you are you're sick. sick. Exactly. So I was like, and we got to a point with my wife, I said, I can't keep doing this and be sick. Let's get a nanny. Like I, and then anyway, well, I made she my, get sick. Well, no, well, she's, she's a doctor. She's off working all the time. And so, you know, anyway, and so, um, and so a mate of mine said to me, mate, you've got to try athletic greens. And I was like, what's athletic greens? And anyway, gave it a try. And I like, the, the, I could go into hundreds of things that I noticed, I mean, about the product now that I take it, like my wife, my whole family went down with gastro a couple of weeks ago. My wife was off work for two weeks. She is super healthy. She doesn't take AG1, but I had a sore tummy for about six hours and that was it. And she could not believe it. Like she was blown away that I, you know, she sat on the toilet for two weeks. I'm, I, I shit you not, right? And so ever since that day, she has not stopped taking it. Um, and it's just like, for me, it's just such... People, people don't realize what goes into the product. Like it's 75 vitamins, minerals, and whole food sourced ingredients. And that's the difference with this product. It's an expensive product, but the reason it's expensive is because we have to source those whole foods from somewhere. And the reason that they're whole foods is because the absorb absorbability in your in your stomach and in your gut. See, a lot of synthetic things, our bodies can't absorb them. So that's the reason why AG1 works so well. And 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 basically it's everything that you need. The only one of the things they can't put in is vitamin D, because vitamin D can't come in a powdered supplement. So in powdered form. So you get you get we usually give you your vitamin D to put a little dropper of it in it and you can have it as you go. And the great thing about AG1 is you can have it every day. Um, and it's just ready to go. It's, uh, well, it's in your case, you don't need one because you're on the beach all the time. <laughs> yeah, well, no, I, yeah, exactly. I get so, plenty just, of sun. So, just take me through this, though. So who owns Bondo Rescue? Who owns the show? Uh, Bondo Rescue is owned by Cordell Jigsaw. So they were the ones that took the part. They're the production company. Right. And then they go to like someone like, say, Channel 10 uh, or Channel 9 and then to Channel 10. Broadcast. Yeah, yeah the, the broadcast. So they still own it. They, they've they owned it all this time. Yes, 100%. Yeah. yeah. Yep. Yep. And then so during the – and the show, show gets filmed obviously during the summer or during the – Lifeguard season, which is, yep. starts on one October, is it one October? Uh, well, our lifeguard season, sort of Bondi and well, we're all three beaches, Tamarama and Bronte. We're open twenty four seven now, so we're. Oh, is that right? Yeah, yeah. We, we used to Tamarama and Bronte used to close down in winter, but now all three. beaches. So there's lifeguards open. on the beach the whole year, every day. Oh, is that right? I didn't yep. know that. Okay, yeah, because I'm I'm sort of going back to the surf club days, um, and it was always one October kicked off. Yeah, well, that's the surf club season. They yeah. usually, yeah, and they then they usually end around. I think it's Anzac Day's their yeah, last yeah, day, yeah, but yeah. there's always lifeguards on the beach. Right. So, so, so you now work full time. Uh, I've been on parental leave for eighteen months. So I've been while my wife studies and and she's studying to be an anaesthetist. I've been sort of the the primary carer. Um, I'm due back on December one, but I now that I've got this role with AG one, I'll probably hopefully go back uh, casual because I still love you know I love the guys and I love working down there. I love the action. Well, on the so beach. you get back on the show. Uh, well, I get it. The, the way the show works is it's not really you're kind of on there if something happens and it's. And it's be, and, and and you're involved in a in a situation. That's how it kind of works. They come down and they film for like two months. And if you're there when something happens, then you'll be on it. It's not really it's not really like someone's on the show in particular. There's lifeguards that have worked there for ages, and you've probably seen them on there once. Yeah. It's just it's just chance, really. Yeah. So it's sort of randomised. Yeah. And how old are you now? Um, forty four, turn forty five. So next ready year. to get your get your rig out? Uh no, I've got the dad bod in full effect. Being a primary carer for three kids, like it's hard. Come on, work. Rudy, you got to get the rig out. No, like I don't know if you want to see this, Rudy. No, it's pretty... well, I'm not saying today. But I'm talking about for Bondi Rescue. You ready? Get... Oh, mate, a bit... how much pressure is on you? Because like that, that's a pressure thing. Like you, you guys are you know bronze Aussies, blah blah blah. Um, everyone's there's an expectation. I was just about to say that there is an expectation, but I also hope that some people would give me some sort of grace, considering I've got. 
got three kids under five. So yeah, it's not as much time to get in the gym these days. Is he going to wear a T-shirt? <laughs> Mate, Over it. Kerbox used to come out of the water with, his, with his paddle board. He'd have his rashy on. We used to call it the Kerbox curtain because he'd pull the cur- pull the board up. Because <laughs> obviously he's nearly 60 or something these yeah, days. Yeah, yeah, no, he's 58 or something. He's, getting he's, old, yeah. yeah. But, but it's, I tell you, it's, it's a funny thing, um, television, because it can put pressure on you um, to make you – Perform a certain way, and I'm when I say perform, perform in every aspect—the way you look, um, and the way you speak on TV, um, the, the how you're going to rescue someone, or, or like for example, you're back you're back on your little um, Sandy Mound again. If you go back, you know, uh, 13 years ago, whatever it was, and let's put you back on that spot now, and you've got your your board there, and then you you get the call out. There's someone out there. You got to be sprinting into the water. Yep, yep, yeah. And you got to jump on the board, and you got to paddle. Like there's no tomorrow because you've got to get out there fast. Yeah. To save the person. Yep. So there's a requirement for fitness. Uh, there's a requirement for um, acuity. In other words, alertness and the ability to you know keep your head up and be looking over the surf- over over the waves to see where whoever, whoever the person is, where, see where the hand is, or take directions. How do you get yourself prepared for that? Um, I think a lot of it comes with experience and a lot of time in the pool. Like I've been swimming a fair bit because obviously- so you, do a lot, you do a lot of still water A lot of still water swimming. We have to do a pool test. We have right. to do an eight, every year. We have a pool test you've got to do in under 14 minutes, 800 metres, and then you've got to do a surf M shape. So, And usually they'll chuck you in with a couple of faster guys and you've got to come within five minutes of the faster guys. Or if it's, what's, that, what's, that, what's that last one? Uh, so it's an M shape course. So it's a 500 meter swim, 500 meter board, 500 meter run times two. Right. And you've got to come within, depending on the swell size, but if it's sort of medium swell, it's within five minutes. If it's really big swell, it's within 10 minutes. Because like you're swimming at 200 meters, I think. What, what, yeah, they'll the just boys. put a couple of cans out yeah, there yeah, and it's yeah. just out and around. And it's, it's, I mean, I mean, board handling skills are probably the most important yeah. part of the job. Like you've got to be able to handle a board well, especially in the surf. And, and do they, are they expecting you, they put someone out there expecting you to be able to pull them up on the board and take them back in? Oh, yeah, 100%. I mean, that's anyone that's been doing the job for at least two or three years, you, you're good at that. I mean, that's, you know, how, how you, you know, pulling them back on the board. Anyone that's done surf club stuff, they're, they're pretty handy on a board and that's really important. We've had plenty of people come down and try out and you sort of, you know, they'll get through the swim test fine, but then they you see their board handling skills and it's like you're probably not going to be much good to us if you're not that good at handling a board. Um, and like putting a patient on there and getting them in. So how how long? You know, I mean, everyone would make the assumption that um, this job is a young man's job. How long? But it's not because you would know as well as anyone that there are a lot of older guys who've been in the in surf club sense anyway who've been doing this to their fifty or fifty five, sixty, and they're still really competent and fit. How long do you think Andrew Reed can keep Andrew Reedy can keep doing this? Oh, mate. As a casual, like I don't know, I reckon I keep pretty fit, and like I mean, this is probably going to sound like a plug, but AG One has given me a whole new lease on life. Like I just feel, I feel like I've got energy all day, every day, you know, and that's one great thing about the product. But I mean, for me, I guess it's as long as I keep myself physically fit. Um, you know, like I, I speak to Guy Leach a fair bit. Leach, yeah, yeah, he's you know he 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 talks about how he wants to feel. How he's sixty now, right? He's still competing with the young kids. He's still a really phenomenal athlete. He said, "I want to feel like this at 80, You know, yeah. Well, he um, talked about this more recently, but <laughs> he, he's, he's a good dude. Like and uh, and like super fit for his age. Yeah, hundred percent. Like still fit. But is there something wrong with people like I'm older than, than all of you, but I'm but I'm not too far away from um, a guy's age. I'm a little bit older than him. Is there something wrong with us though that uh, and Gene's a good example. He's fifty eight. Is there something wrong with us that we sort of should we be giving it up and saying our oh, stuff at like why we're we trying to be like a twenty five year old, or is there something right with us? Right, you know, staying fit, staying healthy, having supplements, or or just eating really well. You know, um, getting plenty of sleep, getting plenty of exercise. In your case, it's swimming. In my case, what I do, the things I do. Is there some? Is do you think that is the way to go? And if so, why do you push yourself in that direction? Because it takes a lot of discipline. Oh, it's for, it's 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 just so much about physical as well as mental. For me, if I don't get out the door and go for a run in the morning, my day hasn't started yet. You know, like and I, I think it's really important just to feel. I mean, I think it's instinctual because. Back in the caveman days, right, we, we would spend our days hunting our food. Now we go into coals and we buy it, right? So where do we get that thrill of the hunt from? You know what I mean? But why do you and I feel that way and others don't? I mean, is it because sometimes I wonder, are we obsessed? 
Is it, is there an obsession with you? Because there's definitely, I'm definitely obsessed. Okay, but it, it, do you think there's an obsession with you? I just think they haven't found it yet. I think that I think it almost becomes. I mean, I was I was a pack a day smoker, right, for twenty years. A pack a day. Right? Pack a day smoker for twenty years. I started when I was thirteen, um, and you know, I, I sort of. It, I had to find something else, and I guess my addiction sort of became running. And the, what what running and 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 swimming and all that sort of stuff gives me, as opposed to being addicted to smoking, is ten times better. It gives me this healthy, happy lifestyle, and I can be a fit, healthy dad to my kids, and I I feel like I can live longer. I think I think we should all be trying to live as long as we can and as healthy as we can. We don't want to put a burden on the health system. We don't want to, you know, we want to be the best version of ourselves for as long as we can. And maybe I don't want to get too deep in this, but I mean, and be a punish. But is it because some people like you're a pack a day smoker, which means you got addicted to nicotine? Fair enough. And and the habit of doing it, like having something in your well, hand. That's what I was going to say. There's actually what I learned because I quit with 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 hypnotherapy. I learned with hypnotherapy, and what I learned was there's no physical addiction to nicotine. Yes, like, it was in your head. It was in my head, yeah, hundred percent. It was the, it was the habit. Yeah, and, and having habit. it in your finger, and you know, or you're in an awkward situation, you light one up. Go to the pub. I've got to go inside and have one because I I just need a break from the conversation. Hundred percent. Yeah, but no, and and so it's it's the the rewards. Uh, you get a reward for this um, behaviour. Yep. Um, and for me, all I'm doing is substituted um, this uh, different behaviours with my old behaviours, but I'm getting the same sort of reward. It's just a chemical reward that I get from training. Yes. Um, yep. But it is no different. That is my obsession, my, and I don't because I mean a lot of people say, "Oh, you're obsessed," and you know, you. I don't have compulsive obsessive disorder, no. but I am obsessed. And there's nothing wrong with being obsessed. If you're in business, there's nothing wrong with being obsessed about the business because you're getting a reward for the things you're doing, and it's a good thing you're doing. Yep. If it's a good thing, there's nothing wrong with being obsessed about it. Yep. You know, like and I, 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 you know, I listened to Peter Atia and uh, Dr. Peter Atia, you know, the the guy who wrote the book about longevity. And he's obsessed about living a long time and not, not from an egotistical point of view, but about what he can give back to his family and everyone else in his world as a result of living longer and healthier. And therefore, he's become obsessed by that. And, uh, and I think these obsessions are important lessons for all of us. Yep. I mean, like anybody I know who's healthy in my category, in my age group, like blokes like Ginger and all that sort of stuff, um, they are obsessed about the whole process. You can't be healthy unless you're obsessed. A hundred percent. You've got a lot of people say to me, how do, I, how do I become a good runner? And I say, it's consistency. You've almost got to make it a priority and you've got to make it part of I your life. I can't do without it. You, you can't go without it. That's right. And But I think with that, like especially if it's a good healthy habit, like it's a healthy obsession, good things follow. You know yeah, what totally. I mean? If, if you're feeling good on the inside, then you'll feel good on the outside. So what would you say to somebody, you know, like, and we both got friends like this, but who are doing it a bit tough and they're probably abusing things, you know, maybe too much booze or too much food or what, they're just living an unhealthy life, not sleeping well, whatever the case may be. How would you, I mean, I'm not trying to make out you and I psychologists, but what would you say to them about what your lifestyle has done for you that maybe they could borrow from? I think you keep trying till you find what it is. Like that, that is right. Like you, you just got to like, so I tried to quit smoking 20 different ways until I found hypnotherapy. And then I found hypnotherapy and I found this great hypnotherapist and it was three sessions and bang, I was done. Wow. You know what I mean? And then I learned, I was like, and then, but then, but then also I had to change my lifestyle so that I didn't fall back into the, 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 the habit of smoking again. Um, meditation helped because meditation is actually a form of hypnotherapy. So meditation helped. And then I, and then I found this and, and also I think like having goals, right? Whether you might hate running, right? So if you hate running, don't make it running, right? Find a sport that you really like and have goals to work towards. Like as soon as I've like run Sydney Marathon, right, I'm already thinking, okay, I'll have a nice little break because there's got to be balance. Balance is so important. You've got to have a break to miss it, to love it again, right? So then I go, right, so what's my next one? What's so, my next goal? What am I working towards next? I mean, I don't want to look like I'm here promoting your age, uh, Athletic Greens AG, but is that part of your obsession? What I mean by that is... You're on something that's good. It's good for you, and as a result of that, you're you really want to prosecute it. You really want to tell the world about it. Hundred percent. Well, for what it's given me, it's given me this healthy habit, right? Which 
which transfers on when you do it first thing in the morning habits. yeah first thing in the morning yeah awesome not every no i'm not i'm not i'm not um regimented like every now and then i'll have it with a banana and with some frozen banana and coconut water i'll just chuck it in there and have it in a smoothie but I make sure I have it every day because it's a healthy habit that reminds me if, if, if not, not only for all the other great things it does for my gut health, you know, for my energy levels and all that sort of stuff, but it also reminds me that I'm on this health journey to be the best version of myself for as long as I can be. And you know, don't get me wrong, if you're in your 20s and you want to party and you want to do it, do it 100%. But now, especially having three young kids in a family, I want to be around as long as I can for them. And if, you know, one of the things about AG1 is the, the ground that the, where the, a lot of the stuff is farmed these days has been farmed so much that it's not as nutrient dense. So we're actually, food is one thing, but we're actually not getting enough nutrients just out of food because of how heavily earth farmed the earths are. So that's another great way, where reason why AG1 comes in and really helps us to get exactly what we need. And that's probably why us people that are in the society, the AG1 society, are feeling so good is because we're getting everything that our body needs. It's had it's had 52 different iterations to the recipe because they've been they've had scientists and dietitians and nutritionists working on it just to get it exactly right. And that's the great thing about the product is that it's it's nearly there. Well, they've got a good ambassador with you, Rudy. <laughs> and and you know, at the end of the day, doesn't work for you. In other words, if you don't believe in it, then you can't be the ambassador. Just like uh, when it comes to saving people's lives down in Bondi Beach and loving what Bondi Beach offers, I mean, you're an ambassador for Bondi Beach. You're an ambassador for Australian lifestyle. And that's why the show has been so so successful because guys like you are obsessed with this. You've got to. There's, there's gotta. a process and it's because it's good for you. Someone once said to me, it's not work if you love what you're doing. And I I've never worked a day in my life because I've always loved what I'm doing. And I feel like I've gone from one dream job of like going to the beach every day and hanging out with my mates and rescuing people and making people's days, you know, making sure people's days are safe and sound. And now I've gone to this other job where I'm trying to make people's lives healthier. And I really believe in it and I, I love it. And I'm, I'm not working. I'm just loving my life. <laughs> That'll do me, Rudy. Good to see you, mate. <laughs> Thanks, Mark. Cheers, mate.